You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode number 41. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelena Levin and Pontus Spökman. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hey! <laughs> good to be back again? Good to be back. Very good. Good to be back. What have you guys been up to lately? Uh, mostly work, actually. Been very busy at, at work. Boring. So, uh, good to have this skeptical interlude among all of this <laughs> working stuff. Same for me, yeah. It's a good break. Mm-hmm. It's a good break. Any interesting things you've come across? Good reads? Anything? No, but I'm looking forward to QED. I'm starting the countdown now. Ooh, yeah, the countdown is actually on. Yeah. Well, they're selling tickets fast, and they stop the sale on the 3rd of October. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If not before, because they may run out before that. Yeah, so, dear listeners, if you haven't booked your ticket yet to QED, please make sure you do before it runs out. It's going to be a blast. And uh, we're going to be there. Absolutely. If you are there, please come up to us and say hello. Absolutely. Do that. We would love to meet you. We'd like to talk to all of you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who cares about the talks and everything? Sure. (laughs) Just let's just hang out in the bar. Sounds like a good plan to hang out in the bar. Buy us a lot of beer. That's 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 the the message. (laughs) I even volunteered again. Oh, Oh, are you doing the volunteering work? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm only doing it for uh, for the for the orange T-shirts. But, yeah, uh, don't yeah. you have enough? <laughs> I've got two already. All right. Okay. <laughs> have you seen the, the latest photo of Nessie? Oh yeah, <laughs> we did. Yeah. Oh boy, is it even worth it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I, I think it's. I heard a very good analysis of this. You know, now the cameras are getting so good. So you can't take fuzzy photos anymore. They're razor sharp. So you can see what it is. And you can't... I mean, it's three seals. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. But there is a good thing, because uh, where I came across it it was uh, doubtful news. Mm. And why it's a good thing is that it means... Doubtful News is back. Yes. And we just listened to an interview on uh, The Skeptic Zone. Yeah, I heard it too. I'm very happy that they're back and she's back. Yeah. And uh, uh, because I was a bit sad when they took a a break earlier this year. But uh, yes. We even mentioned it on show. You remember? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And most of the the other uh, reportings of the same thing were cutouts of the same bigger picture. Mm. So that... The, the the head of one of the seals cannot be seen <laughs> and it it wasn't even confirmed that it, it was taken in scotland at a loch ness exactly so what the hell <laughs> yeah oh yeah i'm looking at this picture now because I, I didn't know what you were talking about guys isn't it cool it's, it's all right i mean I just, i'm not impressed but yeah <laughs> no oh, some playful seals that's fine that's the point <laughs> I, d- I don't really understand why are people so interested in this like i mean who cares like you know what i i did come across this on a a facebook group a group of uh tour guides from the company i worked for Mm -hmm. and 
someone shared the photo there as if it was the real thing. Because some people, some some of these people actually go and do trips to Scotland. To, just to see the monster? No, 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 no. But oh. uh, it, obviously Loch Ness is in the programme. Yeah, sure. And I would like to visit Loch Ness. I, I don't mind that at yeah, all. Yeah, not for the monster, though, just for the no. beautiful sights. No, it's a beautiful scenery, yeah. Whatever. Yep. But if everything works out the way they seem to, we won't go anywhere because we're doomed. What? I didn't get the memo. Are you talking about Trump pres- being a president or something else? That's one thing. The other thing is Bayer, the biotech giant, buying Monsanto. Oh, Have you heard about that? (laughs) That's just apocalypse here, right here, right now. Sure is. We're all doomed. And and they offered fifty nine billion euros. That's money for the acquisition of only. That's more (laughs) cheap. Uh, Cheap. Yeah, it is. Billion. What do they think? Yeah. All right. Ooh, we all listen to skepticality, right? Yes. So right. (laughs) What do you think? I love George Robb, I love uh, Susan Gerbic, and I love it even more when they talk about us. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. <laughs> it was super cool. Yeah. Very thanks good. very much, guys. Yeah, it was you. Yeah, thank you. Awesome. I appreciate it. Well, and, and we were mentioned alongside really great names they praised. Mm-hmm. So that's an honor. <laughs> thanks. Absolutely. Okay. There is one more thing. Um, it's, a, it's a sad thing, actually. I was very sorry to to read about the death of uh, Sergio Lopez Borgonos. Um he was the treasurer of ARP SAPC and in, died in a car accident about 2 weeks ago. Ooh. Oh that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. We we hadn't had the chance to meet him but but our friends over in Spain have have been deeply saddened by by his death and since uh, Sergio was uh, really into astronomy his fellow skeptics found a beautiful way of uh, saying goodbye to him on their website by quoting Carl Sagan. Nice. Uh, that, you know, the star stuff statement. Yeah. You know that yeah, one? Yeah, I love are, that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It, it goes like, a, we, we are star stuff, which has taken its destiny into its own hands. Yeah. It's a good way to think about death. Yeah, it's very sad, but s- still somehow it makes you feel a bit better about mm. about how things work in the, um, in the world. In- in the universe, yeah. Yeah, being part of the universe. And you know, this is this is something that always makes me realize that whenever people claim that skeptics are just these heartless people, that we only rely on common sense and our intellects and everything, it's just so not true. Yeah. We are all emotional people and we are as humans as much as anyone else. Of course. Yeah. So, but it's right, people don't think that. No, no, usually don't. Well, I promise we'll try to be um, a bit more cheered up um, during this show. And uh, for that, I think we should actually start the show. And as usual, we'll start the show with Yalana's segment on this day. Um, I want to talk about... Pope Paul VI, who was born on the 26th of September, 1897. And he was one of the many popes out there. 
nothing. Just a few hundred. Yeah. He actually used to be called Mantini, but he took the the pontifical name Paul the Sixth, the first to take the name Paul since 1605, to indicate a renewed worldwide mission to spread the message of Christ, following the example of Apostle Paul. Now, <laughs> that message was not good, if you want to know, boys and girls. He wrote something called Humanae Vitae, and uh, it's a encyclical uh, that's written by him and issued on the 25th of July 1968, subtitled On the Regulation of Birth. It reaffirms the orthodox teachings of the Catholic Church regarding married love, responsible parenthood, and the continued rejection of most forms of artificial contraception. Now, um, it was a very dangerous message to spread across developing third world countries especially, and it was a very privileged position to take coming from a well-off white male position. And also, I don't understand how on earth he makes any recommendation about anyone's married life when he was never married himself. Mm. Um, but um, we had a brief discussion before the recording and with the guys, and of course, quite a few popes gone out of their way to make suggestions and recommendations on how to live a happy married life, whereas none of them ever were married. So it's just what they do, I guess. Uh, makes total sense, doesn't it? But there, there were those who, who actually had mistresses and stuff, so... Uh, but then you have to go back a little bit further, you know? Yeah, and um, yeah, Renaissance, yeah. Yeah, and we don't yeah, want go. to maybe go too far <laughs> into this, yeah, yeah. Uh, because then um, all the child abuse will come out, and that's not very pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, mainly because of the prohibition of all forms of artificial contraception, this encyclical that he wrote was politically controversial, um, but it affirms traditional church moral teachings on the sanctity of life. Again, I never understood what business is it of churches or anyone's what woman to do with her bits. Mm -hmm. If she wants to have a baby, she can have a baby. If she doesn't want to have a baby, don't have a baby. If she wants to have protection, it's like artificial insemination is such a blessing in disguise for couples who can't conceive any other way. Yeah. And... It's just wrong all around. And it made me very, very, very angry when I read about him. <laughs> so that was one of the reasons why I picked him up for this day. Actually, he could have been very good for the uh, wrong segment, except, of course, he, he's dead now. And <laughs> it's not a, a current news. <laughs> that was Pope Paul VI. <laughs> Don't want to go on too much about it because um, there is a lot to be said about um his um legacy it's not it's not a good one although i think currently the church is trying to be very progressive and i'm not actually sure about current position on contraception i'm not so sure that they are very progressive they they have a more popular approach or pr or image but i think deep down yeah. it's it hasn't changed a lot it has not yeah. But uh, but what's what's absolutely sure is that uh, Pope Francis is not that vocal about uh, bashing it, as was his predecessor. Mm. But when he 
But when he talks about it, he he has the same uh, approach. Uh, I no. I'm I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's 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 softer in his approach, and uh, I think he's he's much more open about that. But I do think he did something about Paul uh, Paul the Sixth as well, mm. because he beat he beatified him. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's very good at that, <laughs> beautifying and sanctifying people. Yeah, there it's it's an in, it's an industry now, you know, like the hundreds of new uh, <laughs> appointments and saints left, right, and center. Yeah, 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 and his predecessor as well, because Pope Paul the Sixth predecessor was uh, John the Twenty Third, and he was um, consecrated as well alongside John Paul the Second. So he declared the the the, the two of them a saint on the same day i think it was in uh, 2013 sometime in, in in the middle of summer so it's almost automatic now is it if you get a, get to be the pope you get to be a saint is that the rule oh yeah 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 it looks like that yeah, yeah. Hmm. it was an interesting thing by the way but, um, when paul the 6th died that's when john paul the 1st came and john paul the 1st was the one who was a pope only for a month yeah because he died, and and or he was the person who who was used as a character in uh, the Godfather Three, if you remember that. I didn't know that. No, mm-hmm. he was the basis of the character mm-hmm. actually, because there are controversies around him. I just want to quickly mention that um, there was a miracle that was attributed to um, uh, Paul the Sixth, that he um, apparently cured an unborn child in California. Ooh, but. I don't really understand. How can, you, uh, what is it? how can you cure an unborn child? I don't even know what that means. And like, how, it's just a, like a made up thing. Ooh, I think maybe he... First of all, how did he know that the child was sick? It's just a charade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think John Paul the, the first died on 1978 uh, in September. Sometime in the towards the end of September. So... Probably around the same time. He was surrounded by lots of conspiracy theories because of the, the uncertainties around his death and everything. And he was the he was the successor of Paul the huh. Sixth. Yeah. All these Johns and all these Pauls. Oh, I love the history of popes. By the way, it's sort of sorry that I'm I'm going on for that long, but it's it's uh, it's an amazing storyline. I mean, there there are a few boring ones uh, here and there. But like the Renaissance popes and the beginning of the 20th century and towards the end of the 20th century up until um, John Paul II, because uh, there was not too much going on around him. But yeah, uh, John Paul II, did you know that? Fun fact, he was the first non-Italian pope in more than 450 years. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fun fact, not that interesting. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, exciting stuff. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Elena. Mm. Why don't we move on to discussing <laughs> the events that are coming up? Ah, uh, why don't we? Next week, yeah. Let's do that. All right, so on Monday the 26th of September, we have in Göteborg uh, the Book Fair Closing Lecture. And I have to put this in perspective because there's a... A, a big uh, book fair uh, over the weekend before 
uh, where uh, the Swedish skeptics has a stand and they sell, we, we I should say we, sell, sell books and stuff. And uh, it's all celebrated on the Monday after when we have a, a lecture in Göteborg. So um, that's interesting. And then on the same day uh, in Sheffield, there is uh, a, a skeptics in the pub called The Tyranny of Intelligence with John Skyfee. And in York, we have at the same time the minefield of the modern diet with Maeve Hannon. Mm. And on the next day, the 27th of September, it's a Tuesday, um, there are two Italian events, a Hungarian event and two uh, events in the UK. Uh, One of the Italian events is uh, a lecture given by Massimo Polidoro. And the event where it takes place is the science behind literary figures. Um, It's a kind of a um, conference-like thing. And he will talk about Sherlock Holmes and the mystery of Jack the Ripper. Mm. And uh, on the same day, um, there's going to be a Budapest Skeptics in the Pub social. It's actually going to be a Skeptics in the Cafe. Uh, We do use the the Skeptics in the Pub uh, system. But we're going to be in the cafeteria. Why I'm so excited about it is because it's the first ever open Skeptics in the Pub in Budapest. We used to have these gatherings, these closed gatherings for the members of the Hungarian Skeptic Society. But now this is open for the public. Mm, Good. So I hope, I hope many people will attend. I will be there. Uh, The same day, Cheltenham in the UK. Aliens, Mr. Green and Mr. Grey cannot visit us today, says... Stephen Colgan. Whereas in Cambridge, also a Skeptics in the Pub event is taking place, The Language of Genes. I think it sounds familiar to all mm. of us. Yeah, Cat Arney. Yeah, again, yet again, it's Dr. Cat Arney. Yeah, and there is one more event, which is actually a two-day event starting on Tuesday and with the part one and the part two will take place on the next day on on Wednesday the 28th and it's going to take place in Torino in uh, Italy and the the title is uh, translated from Italian and if sugar is enough for Mary Poppins (laughs) what then the the speaker is uh, Marta Annunziata and the the talk will be about sugar pills um, only sugar pills and with no active ingredients. So I'm guessing it's going to be about placebos. Uh, Marta Annunziata is a biotechnologist. On Wednesday, the 28th of September, there will be a couple of skeptics in the pub in England. One of them is in Bristol with the theme The Time Travel Paradox in Movies with Eric Stengler. And another one in Brighton um, How to Make 100 Million with a Bogus Bomb detector with Marion Jones. I'd like to make 100 million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and I just want to quickly cover Thursday the 29th of September as well. There's only one event uh in our calendar and it's in Winchester. Ah, this one is how to create your own cult. Um the Scientology way with Martin Poulter. Well, it's like a how to week. <laughs> Martin <laughs> right. Poulter. Oh. I interviewed him on uh, Wikipedia Science Conference last year, and uh, we featured that s- short interview on the show. Sure, yeah, that's right. Yay. And I forgot to mention something. In Brighton, 
although Yanana just mentioned that uh, there will be an event on the 28th, um, which is a Wednesday, the day before, um, it, there's going to be a Skeptics in the Cafe. There are two different groups organizing skeptic, skeptical gatherings, and uh, the first one will be on the 27th, which is Skeptics in the Cafe. The title is Ongoing Adventures in the World of Pseudoscience. And the speaker is none other than Michael Marshall, a.k.a. Marsh, from the Good Thinking Society. Yeah, so it's, um, Tuesday is a pretty packed day, as it looks to me. Thank you. On Friday the 30th, we have, uh, in Santiago de Compostela in Spain, we may have a social skeptics in the pub. It's a little bit uncertain at the moment, but uh, uh, we'll keep you posted if you read uh, the, the calendar there. Also, uh, on the same day, in Mostwirtel in Austria, there is Humanism and Skepticism Initiative, the second meeting. So uh, we are all following how, how uh, the Mostwirtel skeptics are, are getting organized. They're fairly a new group. Then, in Glasgow, still on Friday, there are two things going on. First of all, there is the Explorathon Scotland going on which actually takes place in Aberdeen, Edinburgh, Glasgow and St. Andrews. Uh, that's a, uh, a science event uh, on one night over Scotland, but in uh, the, the Glasgow skeptics have this Explorathon extravaganza, mm. which starts at 7 o'clock. And at the same time in Glasgow, we have the Mr. Green and Mr. Grey won't be visiting us today with Stephen Colgan, the same talk that we talked about uh, for Cheltenham earlier in the week uh, comes to Glasgow also on Friday. Yeah, another tour. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, since you mentioned uh, Most Wirtel, Humanism and Skepticism Initiative, it's, uh, it's a great thing that how we got to know about that event is through Twitter, because they actually contacted us. So I'd like to encourage everyone who is an organizer of any kind of event to do the same. And there are several different ways of contacting us. Via Twitter is one of the ways. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at espodcast underscore EU. You can email us info at theesp.eu. You can also contact us via the contact form on the website. And the website is theesp.eu. Or you can like us on Facebook. Yeah, and if you follow our Facebook page, and please share it with, with your friends as well, so that uh, we can reach as many people as possible, we'll try to keep everything up to date on the Facebook page. And you can subscribe to the, to the podcast on Stitcher, SoundCloud, and on iTunes. And if you do that, those, please give us a like or a few stars, preferably five, and uh, a nice review, if you will. That would be very kind of you, and that would be very much appreciated. Yeah, and it helps other people to find us. Exactly. The more reviews we get, the more likely others will bump into us. Bumping into other skeptics brought something to my mind, which is uh, another Facebook page. The Facebook page of the European Skeptics Congress that has been launched with a new logo and the information that almost exactly a year from now, we're all going to be in Wroclaw, Poland. 
We will. At the 17th European Skeptics Congress. Woohoo! <laughs> Mark your calendar, guys. Yeah. Because the event uh, takes place between the 22nd and the 24th of September 2017. We'll be there. What about you? Yeah, I'll, <laughs> I will absolutely try to be there. And uh, it's organized by the, the Czech skeptics together with the Polish skeptics. Exactly. And they really are already ramping up to make this a, a great event. Really looking forward to it. And to meeting lots of other skeptics that that we haven't had the chance to meet yet or just see them again. Yeah. Cool. Thank you very much, guys. Let's move on to our news. Let's see what's hot in Europe. I'd like to mention and praise yet again uh, the Good Thinking Society and their amazing work. And this is not all about them, but others as well. Um, but still, this is another sort of successful action taken by the Good Thinking Society, that's for sure. The story starts with um, a few UK health charities that um, apparently promote ineffective pseudoscientific uh, treatments, including one that provides homeopathy to AIDS patients in Botswana. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's crazy. But what's even crazier is that the charity commission that is responsible for ensuring a registered charity's purpose is beneficial to the public and that such charities promote only treatments which have been proven to be effective has failed to act on the repeated complaints about the unlawful operation of these charities uh, filed by a number of experts. Uh, this was all under the, the Charities Act... 2016, which uh, received royal assent in March uh, 2016 and gave the Charity Commission special powers. These special powers are why they have been bombarded with the above-mentioned complaints in the hope that uh, the charitable status of these organizations that are promoting ineffective and pseudoscientific treatments uh, might be revoked, and which is a reasonable thing to ask for, I think. Yeah, they should when, be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you provide something that doesn't work. I mean, what kind of charity is that? Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and this is why 11 experts, including Professor Edzard Ernst, signed um, a letter in June uh, based on the investigations of Les Rose, a retired clinical research scientist. But this and other attempts to make the Charity Commission look into it all failed. Until uh, the Good Thinking Society teamed up with a solicitor and gave them until the 16th of September to have satisfactory responses to the questions raised with the prospect of a judicial review should they still fail to act. So they actually started to push the Charity Commission, which is well done. Mm. <laughs> so what happened? Um, I quote... On Friday, the Commission responded to us, committing to a review of the law regarding the advancement of health as a charitable purpose. The Commission envisages that the review will be completed by July the 1st, 2017. Well, it, it might appear a bit a bit too too much time they require for that for, for that review, but uh, what's important is that they actually they gave an actual date. So let us join the Good Thinking Society in welcoming the Charity Commission's response. 
providing an actual and reasonable time frame for the review of the law and how these charities comply. And hopefully, hopefully, those promoting quackery will be rid of their charitable status as soon as possible. And thus, it will be possible to avoid misleading the public regarding the benefits of their actions. So, well done. And uh, looking forward to see the outcome of that review. Yeah. I think it's it's a brilliant example of how skeptics, if, you know, organized and... and uh, yeah. have a strategy can can challenge the the authorities to actually follow the law because that's what we're talking about here and it's a very small organization the good thinking society all they had to do for, for that to be possible to achieve is that they need the resources so if you have people who can commit all their time to actions like this so much can be achieved and this should be an example. Mm. Good. Apparently, there is an Italian surgeon who wants to perform a head transplant by 2017, and there's a lot of talk in the press about it at the moment. I hope it's and... not Macchiarini. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for those who don't know who Macchiarini is, go, go and do a little research. That joke will make more sense. Sorry. <laughs> His name is Professor Sergio Canavero. Um, he said he's got lots of volunteers from all over Europe and UK who wants this procedure to be done. I, I don't really know. Yeah, we'll just take his word for it. And the procedure would see the patient using a donor body and having their head fitted to it. And he believes that he's very confident that technology is already in place to make it happen. And one of the places uh, that uh, got technology for it is, is England or France or Germany, either of those three uh, three countries. One of the first patients on the list is somebody called Valery Spiridonov uh, from Russia. He's 31 years old and he's a sufferer from uh, Verding Hoffman's a muscle wasting disease, which has left him in a wheelchair. And uh, he, um, he's he got a few video clips online, actually, um, if, if anybody's interested, where he gave an interview to say that he's willing to be the first one to have the head transplant. Uh, and, yeah, he said that he, today my life is pretty tough and he needs to rely on various people every day. Um, so he wants to change that and he believes that it should be tried and used, and he's happy to be the first. Now, how this transplant could work. Here we go. The surgeon claims that the transplant would take 150 medical staff, 36 hours to carry out the operation. The first step would be to freeze the head and body to stop brain cells from dying. Then the neck would then be cut and tubes connected, uh, connecting key arteries and veins fitted. Then comes the tricky part, Jeez, all the other parts weren't tricky then, I'm saying. <laughs> now we come to the tricky part. Okay, yeah. here we go. Uh, cutting the spinal cord, it'll be done with a special knife made from diamonds because of their strength. The head is then moved onto the donor body and the spinal cords fused together with a special type of glue. Muscle veins and organs are then reattached and the skin is stitched together. Wow. It sounds a little bit like it's all science fiction to me, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, but still, this Professor Canavero is very confident 
and he is testing the procedure on brain dead living donors first. Um, and also he is citing a successful head transplant that has been done on a monkey who survived for the next 20 hours without any damage. And then they killed the poor monkey off afterwards. The experiments are reported in a set of seven papers which are due to be published in the journal Surgery and CNS Neuroscience and Therapeutics. And the papers also claim to have shown that spy infusion technology developed by the surgeon, uh, Dr. Canivero, has a strong rationale and it works in mice, allowing them to recover motor function. Um, a press release ahead of the publication said a full monkey hair transplant has been successfully accomplished. The first study on human cadavers have already begun in China. However, the doctors out there and scientists out there are very skeptical um, because the press release was done before the actual studies were published in peer-reviewed paper. And that's the biggest problem that uh, the scientists have about this whole thing. And it's, they said that it generates excitement before excitement is warranted. And it distracts people from actual work that everyone can agree has a valid foundation. And as far as we can tell, this um, operation has mostly been about publicity rather than pr production, uh, production of good science. I think I tend to agree a little bit. Because there isn't anything in peer-reviewed papers yet. It's all just a little bit of a wishful thinking, in a way. I mean, if it does work, and the, the, the head transplant works, it's going to open up a whole new science of spinal cord trauma re reconstruction, which would be amazing. But I think we need to, it's a little bit too early to get excited, and we need to see how the first operation goes, if at all. And he's actually spoken at TEDx, one of the TEDx conferences about this as well. Which doesn't, in my view, it doesn't give it more credibility. It just means that obviously he had a talk about this. Oh, he's very passionate as well, and he spent 20 years working on it. Um, and in one interview, he even said, I don't understand how, uh, how people can have expert opinion. I am the only expert in this field. <laughs> oh, it's not a good sign. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, well, good. there are doctors out there with with medical degrees who know who know a thing or two of what to expect from this kind of operation. The glue part, this is what I don't understand. But apparently, it glues the spinal cord together and then it fuses and re restores itself. Which, it, yeah. Yeah, sounds too well. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds. Like we'll wait and see. We'll wait, we'll wait and see. I mean, certainly the first patient's first live patient to have it done will go down in history, of course. Mm. Where, where will this take place? Do you know that, Elena? Which country? Well, they, they're having talks with Russia at the moment, of course, and they want to uh, request funding from Zuckerberg. For, for, out of all people, I don't even know why. All of a sudden, they think that the Facebook. Cre uh, creator will sponsor this operation, maybe for publicity. Perp uh, well, yeah, he might. I think that can backfire quite badly uh, if it doesn't yeah. go well. But now he's set out to to change change the world and uh, get rid of all diseases. Mm. So uh, there we go. That could be by the end of the century, but using by, three by billion dollars. Heads from one body to, body to another. They will. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, you know, you're you're so. you're sick. You just. Oh, let's just yeah. swap hands. Yeah. Mm. Incredible. Uh, we're living in a very interesting times where 
people are thinking of head transplants. Actually, I, I was a I was a kid um, interested in biology and everything, and I came across a book with the title. I think it was by a Russian author, but I'm not sure uh, who the author was. And it the title was something like um, a biological bomb. It discussed in detail how a head transplant could actually take place, and it mm. was written in the 1960s. Mm. Yeah, I think I seem to Not remember there were, there were some uh, some experiments done. I think in Russia in the sixties uh, about this with monkeys or, or with monkeys uh, and dogs. Yeah, yeah, and dogs. And I yeah, specifically right. remember it discussed that uh, how how a dog head transplant can could actually work and things like uh, it was actually like a nightmare. It was it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible to even read about it. Mm. But um, well, scientifically, it might not be totally off. It's it could be feasible, technically, scientifically. What's definitely a huge difficulty is not the bloodstream and not not how the blood flow is is supplied, but um, like the neural connections. Yeah, that, that's that's probably the most difficult part. Yeah, you know, it's fine if you can move ahead to another body. And it survives, but what if that per- head cannot communicate with the rest of the body? What, what, yeah. what then? Mm. Yeah. Scary stuff. Well, well, it's not scary. Well, it's just uncertain. Yep. We'll provide the link to the um, to the actual article, and uh, people can make up their own minds about it. This is this is what usually um, those people say who who spread nonsense in city science. That okay, I'm just throwing it out there, and you can make up your mind. <laughs> right, that's what we'll do. But what's necessary is for um, all the information to be out there and available, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is why our next item is very important, uh, because apparently the UN, the United Nations, is now calling for global action on clinical trial transparency. Mm. It's of course, I came across this on uh, alltrials.net. First of all, I, I we have to admit that progress has been made in recent years, uh, but there is still no reason to be happy with with how clinical trials are are conducted worldwide uh, at large. There are very good practices now. Um, some companies are really complying with 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 what's being um, expected of them but there are developments that are worth looking at um, that that may hold the the key to optimism about the future one of them is a recent report by the united nations secretary general's high-level panel on access to medicines they called on governments worldwide to pass legislation requiring clinical trials to be registered and their methods and results to be fully reported, with uh, public availability of study designs, protocols, datasets, and test results being in the focus. So this is coming from the United Nations, actually, and, and this is why it, it bears some, some real weight. The subtitle of the report is Promoting Innovation and Access to Health Technologies, and it really seems like a very progressive piece of work. And I'll f- um, finish this uh, short report with a, with a quote from the actual report, because it says a lot. 
about about the attitude, I think. Governments should require that the unidentified data on all completed and discontinued clinical trials be made publicly available in an easily searchable public register. Regardless of whether the results are positive, negative, neutral or inconclusive, to facilitate open collaboration, reconstruction and reinvestigation of failures, governments should require that study designs and protocols, datasets, test results and anonymity protected patient data be available to the public in a timely and accessible fashion. Those undertaking clinical trials must not prevent researchers from publishing their findings. So this is just one paragraph, but it says a lot, I think, especially in in a world uh, in which uh, some pharmaceutical companies are still trying to publish things because it's it's not okay anymore to not publish your findings. But what they do is usually they publish it in a, in a journal that is not really accessible to the general public. And they try to hide it in small journals that no one tries and uh, no one actually actually reads or uh, or or tricks like that. And this initiative is actually very clear about the availability, the public availability of these studies, and it's it's a some something to to really look forward to and to really welcome. I think indeed. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about that the Norwegian National Church was losing members due to a new website that made it uh, easy to opt out. And this week, I can report that the Danish Church has uh, similar problems, and this is uh, thanks to an association called. At the Eastisk Selskab, which simply simply translate to atheistic association, they have led a big campaign over the summer, including big posters on buses with the texts "Why believe in a god?" and "Why does it cost to believe?" And due to this campaign, about the ten thousand members have left the national church over summer, uh, and th- this is a large increase in in people leaving. Uh, the leader of the association is called Anders Stjernholm, and he says that this reflects that people do not see a point of a Danish national church anymore, especially since this has an enormous influence and lives on money from the public. The Danish church, uh, of course, uh, they deny that this is a lasting trend, and they say that, and I quote, more people are becoming more active in the Danish church. Well, They may be becoming more active, but they are becoming uh, fewer because the truth is that the Danish church has lost members for a long time now. And uh, this just accelerates the the trend. Yeah. So do you know what neuroblastoma is? Uh, I've heard about it. It's like a a type of cancer that is is very differentiated. It's not very well understood how how it develops. But it attacks children, and uh, it's the most common cancer in infancy, according to um, the e-medicine. This is this is. I think I've heard. I know how I've heard about it. Hmm. There is a a series called Humans of New York on Facebook, and um, they've done a series of big fo- photos of the um, cancer doctors from the children's hospital. 
mm-hmm. that were talking about neuroblastoma and then they, they were like raising money for research. It was kind of like heartbreaking because obviously, you know, the stories were all very sad about kids dying. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, if it's if it was your kid, you would do anything mm. to try to find a cure for that. It's not very common, but uh, according to the NHS, um, in 2014, there were about 100 children in the UK um, affected. So what the story I'd like to share with you is about is a family. It's um, that There is a report on Wells Online. I came across this story on quackometer.net. And there is a two-year-old girl with a stage four neuroblastoma. So that's a stage four is is not something that leaves too much room for for hope, actually. So obviously the parents are looking for everything possible. But what seems to be the case is now they are running a campaign to raise £60,000 for them to be able to take their kid to Hufeland Clinic in Germany. But Quackometer actually dived into um, checking out what the this Hufeland Clinic offers to patients. And they found the, the following. High-dose intravenous vitamin C ozone therapy and animas oh no yeah and they correctly point out that these these therapies are not only lacking any scientific evidence of efficacy but uh, they can also be harmful this is tragic this is this is so sad it actually makes me want to cry that these people are so desperate that they are actually raising money to take their child to a foreign country and undertake a kind of treatment that could even do harm to the to the child and i cannot blame them i can blame only the system and i can blame only those offering these bogus treatments for not being right in the mind about this for going for the profit and not looking at the the human side of it this clinic is trying to provide all the different um explanations as to why these therapies work and and why these are the miracle cures but it's just uh, as ridiculous as as it normally is well i shouldn't say ridiculous because it's it's sad it's sad yeah i don't know if uh, if only I would be religious enough to to say that I'll pray for the young young girl, but uh, unfortunately, a stage four neuroblastoma, mm. I wouldn't hope much for her. Sorry, I I'm kind of developing a habit of of bringing down the mood. <laughs> yeah, like I remember last episode, I think, or the episode before, it was similar, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, but the pattern seems to be emerging on this episode as well. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> I wonder if it's just... I'm not depressed or anything. I wonder if it's just because life is pretty depressing and actually it's very sad in many ways. There is a Swedish TV show called The Unknown or 
De Ushenda in Swedish. And that uh, show has been found to violate Swedish broadcasting regulations now for the third time. Uh, this is a show that airs on the Swedish TV channel TV4, and it's infamous for preying on grieving families by making so-called uh, psychic investigations in haunted houses. Um, you know, the, the, the drill. Uh, but it's, it's heartbreaking, really, to the way they manipulate grieving families just in order to produce what they think is good TV. What they've done in this case is that they have named... Uh, a deceased real person as being the ghost in a house uh, without asking permission from the surviving family who, who were not in this show. And the fam family was very upset about this and they filed a complaint and uh, they were given, uh, uh, well, given the right. So the, the show has now been publicly ordered to, to apologize. And this is the third time, very similar to what happened to first cases. Uh, I think a, a fellow Swedish uh, skeptic really hit the nail on the head when he posted this comment on Facebook. It is very funny that a show that lies about talking to the dead has such problems with communicating with the living. <laughs> so I, Good one. I think that, yeah, I think that's, yeah. Uh, that, that, that's very apt. I really can't stand these, this kind of shows where, where you go into a, to a house and uh, and uh, I feel a smell of roses. That's because your grandmother is actually angry with you. And the mm. person in front yeah. of you just breaks down <laughs> and, 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 and cries because she realizes she has offended her grandmother some way. It's terrible, really. It's terrible. I, smell, I smell a fart here. Yeah, I smell a fart. That's right. Because my grandmother is angry with me. Yeah, <laughs> I would be more like yeah. it. Have I told you about my experience uh, on TV um, trying to communicate with my deceased um, grandmother? I think I've heard of this. I don't know if it was on the show or not. Yeah, it was uh, many, many years ago. Mm. And uh, my sister and I went on the show. Yeah. And uh, she actually bought the whole thing. And uh, she was moved by it. But I was unconsciously, but still I, I, I did know that I was the one controlling the pen a pencil it was a pencil actually and uh yeah she communicated with us in writing we just had to had to keep moving our hands it was uh it was a classic idiomotor effect yeah that 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 we experienced there but uh my sister was so so into this and and so moved by the whole thing that for a while i couldn't really persuade him that it was not our our grandmother we communicated with with it was my my personality it was my mind and it was me being in control without even knowing it it was an inexper interesting experience on tv yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah when I first read about this, uh, where that that you put put up there, I, I saw a Swedish goat hunting TV show. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a violation. <laughs> Who you wanna call? Goat Buster. <laughs> goat Buster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much, guys. Mm. Thank you. Uh, I cannot wait 
to find out what logical fallacy Yelena has for us today. Today, I, I wanted to qu quickly talk about the uh, uh, logical fallacy called Nirvana fallacy, also known as perfect solution fallacy uh, or perfectionist fallacy. It's when you're comparing realistic solution with uh, an idealized one and dismissing or even discounting the realistic solution as a result of comparing it to a perfect world or impossible standard, <laughs> ignoring the fact that the improvements are often good enough reasons. Um, so there's a couple of the examples I, uh, I just want to mention. One of them, actually, I have to admit, I always said that myself. So hey, hey, here you go. Uh, what's the point of making drinking illegal under the age of 21? Kids still manage to get alcohol. And I said that myself many times, by the way. Good for you. Well, <laughs> but no, but there is there is actually the reason why, you know, it's illegal. Um, if the there goal, is merit to it, yeah. Yeah, the goal in setting a minimum age for drinking is to deter underage drinking, not abolish it completely. Uh, suggesting the law is uh, fruitless based on its failure to abolish underage drinking completely is fallacious. I did not know that that's what I was committing, but I was committing a nirvana fallacy. There you go. Mm. And I've got the second example. What's the point of living? We're all going to die anyway. It's a good one. <laughs> um, so there is an implication that the goal of life is not dying, uh, while that is certainly a worthwhile goal, which in my eyes it isn't, because otherwise we wouldn't appreciate life. Many would argue that it is a bit empty on its own, creating this fallacy where one does not really exist. So, yeah, it's um, an interesting fallacy. I did not know about that fallacy until, well, until I did my research. Um, I've obviously been uh, guilty of committing it myself many times. Um, there are some exceptions, though. Like, striving for perfection is not the same as um, the Nirvana fallacy. So having a goal of perfection or near perfection and working towards the goal is admirable. So, However, giving up on the goal because perfection is not attained, despite major improvements being attained, is fallacious. The Sega Nirvana fallacy. Hmm. That's interesting. It was new to me. I didn't. I haven't yeah. hadn't heard about this before. Yeah. Mm. Me neither. Mm. And I think it's very often I find myself going, "Well, what's the point of this or the other?" Because it doesn't work all the time. But actually, it does work sometimes. So if there is some use and some improvement and some merit and some goodness, then the thing worthwhile exploring or you know mm. whatever. So there we yeah. go. Don't commit the fallacy of nirvana. <laughs> Why learn about fallacies when we, we're going to commit them anyway? Yeah. No, it was a bad attempt. Okay, never mind. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Yelena. All right. And the next thing to look forward to is... Who's been really wrong lately? If you live in the UK, chances are that you've heard of Dr. Dawn Harper. She is an English doctor, media personality and television, television presenter known for co-presenting uh, the channel for te television series called Embarrassing Bodies. She works as a part-time uh, GP and also runs several private clinics. In a radio show called Health Hour on LBC, she uh, recently advised the caller to try ear candling. 
do you know what ear candling is? Oh yeah. Yeah, you stick you stick the candle in your ear, it melts, and then apparently it cleanses your ear, and then it's it's total total BS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Spoiler, sorry, spoiler. It's totally no, no, yeah, no, it is. It, is <laughs> it doesn't work. You're right. So basically, you lie down, you take this special candle, shove it in your ear, and you light it up. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful not to turn it the wrong way around, so you have the <laughs> fire in the ear. It's, the fire should go at the top. It can actually lie- happen. Yeah, it has happened. You know, but but if you do it right, you lie there. Uh, for 10 to 15 minutes and uh, and you just hope that hot wax from this candle does not drip into your ear but the idea is that the burning candle uh, the the candle is hollow and the idea is that it will create some sort of suction and drag out earwax into the candle like a candle in the wind and you're told to after you're done you're told you could open up uh, the 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 candle and see the strange residue inside, uh, and and that is then supposed to be proof uh, that it works. But unfortunately, uh, if even if you don't put it in your ear, you will still find the same impurities because it's actually part of uh, the candle, not not uh, earwax at all. So Dr. Harper, she. Um, uh, recommended this, but then she apologized when she got uh, uh, some uh, feedback that this was not very good. But her apology was rather hollow, as she said, and I quote, Well, it was recommended to me by an ear, nose and throat surgeon, but it seems to have fallen out of favor. But <laughs> it was never in favor. This yeah. is this is uh, ridiculous from the beginning. Um the criticism against her was was very harsh, right? Yeah, it was. So it I was. I I remember reading reading something like like mm-hmm. she was even called a quack. Oh yeah, on air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It it was also called the most foolish health uh, advice ever in the media. So so <laughs> nice. I, I think yeah, yeah. So she she got what she deserved. Not true though, but yeah. Yeah, no, maybe not. <laughs> but but ridiculous anyway. Yeah. Uh, Giving medical advice in the media is a dangerous business. Mm. You, you, we could look at Dr. Phil or, or Dr. Oz, even worse. There is an American Indian tribe called the Hopi tribe, and they have repeatedly denied that they were the origin of this ear candling business. But manufacturers still insist that they are, uh, are this is Hopi ear candling. Uh, and and the, this this tribe saying no, we did not invent this. Please don't quote us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, there have been other um, claims for the for uh, for the treatment, such as uh, traditional Chinese or traditional Greek or Egyptian. Uh, even uh, the city of Atlantis have been mentioned as the origin of this practice. Mm. But actually, Is it, isn't it on a different it, different planet? Atlantis? I don't know. We haven't. Yeah, I think it's underwater. We haven't found it here anyway. So, so maybe. No, we're supposed to have sunk in the water, right? It's in a different galaxy, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, like Pegasus, Pegasus galaxy. Ear candling can actually, it's not just ineffective, it actually can be dangerous. You can burn yourself, if you try to do it yourself, you can burn yourself. 
you can, uh, you know, uh, set fire to your hair. And I have heard about a case in Canada where a lady accidentally set fire to her uh, drapes around the, the, the windows. Wow. And, and she died. She, she actually was uh, killed in the fire that ensued. So, uh, and uh, I think that's why it is actually illegal in Canada to sell ear candles. So, uh, I, I, you know, I think if you are careful, I don't think it's really that dangerous. This was a freak accident, in my opinion. But it's still not something that you should um, uh, promote in public media if you have the reputation of being a TV doctor. Yeah, and there are there are ways that are proven to work. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to your doctor. Please don't take uh, health advice from from TV doctors or podcasters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Talk to your doctor. Talk to your doctor. So, for promoting alternative nonsense on UK national radio, Dr. Dawn Harper gets today's prize for being really wrong. Cool. Good. Super cool. Yet another well-deserved really wrong prize. We are getting close to the end of the show, but uh, before we go, I'd like to uh, draw uh, the listeners' attention to two books. Uh, unfortunately, they are both in German, which which means that I wouldn't be able to um, to read them. But uh, they look very nice, and they're coming with the recommendation of uh, GVOP. One of them is titled, it's a very nice title, The Fake Hunter. Apparently, the two gentlemen who are um, writing it, they um, operate a website which is called Think First, Then Click. And they try to educate people into how to distinguish between uh, um, nonsense and uh, real information. And they run um, a Facebook page as well. And now the book is out. Hope um, these are the books, the kinds of books that that one hopes to to have in English out anytime soon, so that it can be can be read by many. But uh, it's it's even good to see, and it's very inspiring to see all these activities around Germany. Um, there is another book, and uh, that book is titled Scientifically Proven. It is uh, each, uh, published by Wiley, and it's about different... Uh, so it helps the, um, the reader distinguish, again, between scientifically proven and scientifically unproven or uh, proven not to be effective kind of treatments and, and uh, things in uh, mostly healthcare. So these are two interesting reads, or must be very interesting reads, for everyone who, who reads in German. And there is another thing that I'd like to talk about, and to, to finish the, the, the show with, before we get to the most important part of the show, which is the quote. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, published by Sense About Science. And they say that they are making a case to parliamentarians in... November, actually on the 1st of November this year, 
together with uh, individuals and organizations uh, from different sectors across the UK, they're going to tell parliamentarians, ministers and officials that evidence matters to the public, contrary to the general belief that uh, all that's necessary for uh, the public to be persuaded is emotions and emotionally driven argument. And um, there is an actual call for for stories and your opinions uh, regarding why evidence matters to you and why you think evidence is important. And uh, there is a form that that can be filled and and they encourage readers and, um, and uh, visitors of the website to give specific examples um, about this, this topic and this issue. Um, it's a very interesting thing, uh, crowdsourcing um, arguments. Um, that's, I think that's the way to go. So we'll obviously provide the link on the show notes to the website and to this uh, forum to be filled with the title Evidence Matters. I think this is all we we wanted to talk about. So there is nothing else left but to finish this show with a nice quote that Yelena brought for us today. Uh, I've got a quote from Charles Darwin. <laughs> Good. Uh, he said, Doing what little one can to increase the general stock of knowledge is as respectable an object of life as one can in any likelihood pursue. Very nice. Yes. I think we're doing our bit. Well, tiny bit. <laughs> Just a small bit. We're trying. You know, this is this is an argument that, that it comes up very often these days because science has become a place for uh, not so much individual, individual achievements, so huge achievements that are very easy to to see by the public but small bits of pieces that that you add to the general knowledge of, of humanity and uh yeah this is this is not easy to contemplate um when you think about science as this place for uh darwins and and galileo galileis and and newtons but those times are over we are diving deep and uh, we have to focus on the details yeah so Charles Darwin really knew that have you read that read his book I didn't no I I have it <laughs> I mean I mean he, by his book I mean I mean the original species because he had he he wrote many books it's but... on the shelf one day I'll read it it's an interesting read um I I read it and then I listened to it uh read up by uh, Richard Dawkins. Oh. It was an experience. Yeah. <laughs> even after reading it. That sounds interesting. And uh, he was very thorough. I mean, Darwin. He wanted to provide all the, the, the bits, uh, the small bits of information to back up his arguments. Yeah. Awesome. Admirable. Yeah, it's held up too. I mean, uh, he did his homework. And Absolutely. There, is, there isn't much you could criticize. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, this really wraps up the show. <laughs> thank you very much, Yelena. All right. And thank you very much, Pontus. Thank you. Uh, thank both of you for, for joining me today. And until next week, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. 
This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu, and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe. How do I start? You say you that told me you're listening, listening to. to oh, for crying. Okay, what am I doing? Okay, just I have no idea what you're doing, but uh... keep it together, Andrash. Keep it together. Yes, focus. Um, yeah. Always look on the bright side of life. You know what I say? Yeah. All right. Eyes fart in your general direction. All right. You stupid sniggets. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Monty Python show. The sweetie. <coughs> Oi, sorry. <coughs> Hello, died. sweetie. Hello, sweetie. <coughs> Doing what little one. Say again. Who is the little? Who is the little one? <laughs> the little one. <laughs> who's the, who's the little Doing one? that. Doing Who is that the little one? What uh, little one? Yeah. Oh, that little one. <laughs>